That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. Welcome to the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm Nate, lost in time and space. I'm Man from Ling, from the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin, from Twisted Tentacle Inn. Yeah, and hey, this is Nathan from uh, Arkham Central. Uh, how we how we all doing tonight? Pretty awesome. Good. Yeah. Wish yeah. I had more time to play. <laughs> well, this you uh, you did stream uh, last week. Was that last week or the week before? A uh, couple weeks in a row, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if yeah, anyone... that, was, that was fun. Lots of people, uh, no, not lots of people, but a few people turned out and nice. watched me uh, get beat up a couple times. Yeah, it's hard when you live on the East Coast and you're three time zones away from me. And you stream late at night, and I have to go to work early in the morning, otherwise I'd totally watch. But I watch yeah. the YouTube videos afterward. Yeah, but I think I actually might play better when I'm streaming, so we'll have to see if that continues. I've been playing a lot, and I've been trying to record videos, but have unfortunately had some difficulties in the recording area. Uh, I live next to an airport, if that uh, gives you any indication of what issues I may have. That would be very loud. So out of curiosity and maybe f as an insight to our listeners, um, why don't we mention any of the adventures that we've done just this week alone? I will do a quick start off. I've done two runs with two separate groups of the Doom of Etsley. Don't ask me why I'm so lucky. I did the fan-made Colorado Space, which was fantastic. Uh, and then I did the Return to Dunwich. Uh, let's see... That would be, uh, what's the, what's right after Blood on the Altar? Help me out. Undimension and Unseen? Undimension Unseen, yeah. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> Return to Dunwich, Undimension Unseen. So I did those four this week, and I feel mentally like I've been bitten by snakes and been trampled by large invisible things. So it's been, it's been a fairly chaotic week. What about you, Vase? Have you had the chance to play any games recently? Man, I played very little this week. I just uh, finished my Skids run, solo run of um, Return to Dunwich Legacy. And that final scenario, man, Lost in Time and Space, is just a nightmare. It's Still an absolute nightmare. You. Oh, my God. I haven't been able to beat it. I have not been able to beat it. Yeah. It's, uh, man, I love that scenario. It's, so it's awesome. Fun. I love <laughs> it's it. It's so <laughs> Yeah, I'm still trying to get to it. I'm a couple away. I would love to hear about that uh, Colorado space scenario when you get a chance, Nathan. Maybe we'll, next we'll episode. We'll have to do that. Yeah, I'm thinking next episode because I got one slated for this one. Yeah, and if, if you guys haven't seen Nathan's uh, setups for his, his gameplays, you should totally check those out on his Instagram channel. Not to shamelessly promote that or anything, but yeah, yeah. it's Arc really Horror cool. Images of Madness. Do check it out. Um, so, yeah, I've been playing, um, I've been trying to play through my solo Jenny, uh, Path to Carcosa campaign, so I've been playing through Curtain Call, doing a couple practice runs of that, um, I've also trying to 
record footage for my solo Rita campaign through Return to Dunwich, which has not gone well either. That scenario is brutal, solo Rita, as you have no way to discover clues efficiently. I can't, I can't hear Rita's name and not think of the Mark and Rita special drink uh, <laughs> at the Arkham and Flames event. <laughs> Damn it, you guys. Ugh. And yeah, I wish I had had a, 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 an addition to my deck that we'll talk about later, perhaps. But um, yeah, so I've been playing through those, and I unfortunately haven't been uh, given the opportunity or rather given myself the opportunity to play through the new scenarios of Circle Undone yet, but I will do that this weekend, and hopefully hopefully that'll be a much more successful endeavor than my recent past couple adventures. Man from Lang, what have you been playing? Uh, besides streaming uh, Curtain Call and uh, Untamed Wild and Doom, uh, I'm going to be playing tomorrow, probably. I'm might play Marie tonight. I haven't played Marie yet, so I'm. Ooh. I've got a deck. I've got so I might. Uh, usually I'll play. Depending on the time I've got, I'll play through like the first four scenarios of Dunwich Legacy just to get a feel for it. But I think now that I've played enough uh, with Diana, I'm ready to. I'll probably tackle the. Uh, I'm gonna try to record the. Uh, get my circle undone. Recordings done here, so. Yeah, and uh, Frank from Drawn to the Flame was recently talking about playing Marie and how it's quite addictive and fun to play with having four actions a turn because you're blasting off spells, etc. With her, so you have to let us know how that goes. Yeah, I've uh, yeah, it's uh, I haven't played her and I haven't played Carolyn yet, so those are the two that I need to to get some time in with. I've I've played uh, Joe a little bit and and all the others, so. Those are the two I'd like to to play more with. I seem to be playing a lot of Mystic of late, and but I'm not sure why. Play I, for I a spell? I would not say they were my favorite class, but uh, that's such as it is. Have they put a spell on you, perhaps? <laughs> Shameless. Uh, yeah. Well, after, <laughs> after say... playing two dozen games with Father Mateo, I thought for sure they wouldn't <laughs> because I had pretty much had enough of them at that point. And you said but, you uh, haven't played Carolyn Fern, the botanist. No, I haven't, I haven't played her either. I know, I know she's Vase's. I know she's Vase's sweetheart. So I, I would oh, hate yeah. to to do playthroughs with her because I know Vase will be watching and leaving comments yes. on my channel all the time about all the mistakes I made. Well, it's it's funny Vase that Vase uh, likes her so much because Miss Katonic has issued a statement. The current dean, uh, she has a. Um, falsified PhD in <gasps> psychiatry, so they might actually take her out of the mythos. Uh, allegedly. Just, that's the rumor. That's the rumor. Allegedly. She Alleged. allegedly. Allegedly. Thank you. I, I never remember that because I don't, you know, work for the news, but yeah. Sorry, baby. I hate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right. she's a pretty good rogue. So. Oh my god. Well, maybe maybe if I build when I sit down to build my Carolyn deck, I'll try to to build one that Vase will just his head will explode when yeah, he sees if what it's I'm got contraband. Just like, work. what on earth are you doing? Hey, speaking of contraband, <laughs> Carolyn Ferd, I'm still playing through a three-player campaign of a uh, Forgotten Age, and Carolyn did not use her medicine on poor Mi Mr. Leo Anderson, so he's still poisoned going into the Doom of Etsley. So, a little wow. salty about that, but hey, other than that. 
even if you even if you use all your medicines, you end up poisoned anyways. It's oh, there's no way around it. No way around it. No. But um, yeah, why don't we go ahead and uh, move into the first uh, topic of the mythos phase here tonight? Um, FFG recently spoiled uh, the final mythos pack of the Circle and Dun pack, uh, the before the Black Throne. Um, what do you guys? What are your guys' uh, initial thoughts about this mythos pack? Awesome name for a mythos pack for sure. Yeah, when I uh, when I when I read through the uh, the announcement, the first thing that it sort of reminded me a lot of uh, the pallid mask, uh, with sort of the twist that you can end up with locations that are blank because they're coming off the top of your deck instead of the. Uh, I guess in the pallid mask, it was the catacombs deck, but this one will be the cosmos deck. Is that? Is that what they're calling it? Co- yeah, Cosmos. So it, it sort of sounds like the sort of a similar type of create your own map as you go along. Yeah, it kind of feels like Explore meets the Pallet Mask mechanic of the Catacombs deck a little bit to me. With a little Undimension and Unseen. And not Undimension, um, Lost in Time and Space thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll. I, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's it's, I, it seems a lot less random than the one that comes before it. That's for sure. So, uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. And and uh, I am curious though to see sort of how big the the deck is because I mean, if they've got the Cosmos deck, which is probably I don't know how many locations, and then they've got these. I mean, you've got the bonded cards that are going to be in the cycle as well. They can only put 60 cards in a pack, so that's going to be... It'll be interesting to see how many player cards are in that set, because um, if they're including three copies of the bonded cards... Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So they're, they're probably going to have to cut back a little bit on the, uh, on the player cards if they want to get... If they you know, need to, to put in a whole Cosmos deck in there as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting point I hadn't thought about the, uh, someone mentioned on the Facebook group about the, this cycle in particular, kind of the, the scenarios that have come out so far, like perfected versions or improved versions of previous scenarios, like, uh, Miskatonic Museum. A lot of people were comparing the first Mythos pack to the Miskatonic Museum in terms of some of the mechanics and stuff, but it, it was, it was just done like they've learned from their mistakes. I feel like this pack uh, is probably going to have some some elements from previous scenarios, but done a little bit better. Like Explore was a, a mechanic that was much maligned, and I think they've done a good job with some of the new implementations of a similar mechanic. Oh, so I had an idea that will never come to fruition, but I might do a fan-made version of this. I think it would be cool if there were uh, new exhibits and thus new Miskatonic Museum adventures just based on kind of what happens. I don't know. I think that would be an EMK. That's neither here nor there, but when you mentioned it, that reminded me of that. Yeah, like going back to old locations is a, is a cool concept. You know, and uh, Threads of Fate, going back to Arkham was, was a lot right. of fun. And I, yeah, that was If well they done. keep making... Yeah, they keep making scenarios where you go back to locations that you've you've seen before, but 
they're different. I think that feeds a little nostalgia, but also they improve on it, so you get that aspect of it. And, yeah, to kind of go back to Man's point about the deck only being 60 cards, it's also worth noting that the agenda decks in the act decks also have small thresholds, too, so... Yeah, it yeah, kind do. of implies that they, you know, might have large act and agenda decks too. So yeah, it'll, be it'll interesting be, to see. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you're getting. I mean, if so, they did spoil the one bonded card. I can't remember their names offhand, but the uh, the the seeker bonded card. So there's like if you're getting three copies right? of the one, uh, blood right. Yeah, if you're getting three copies of the bonded card and then two of the other, there's five cards right there. So, like, that to me would be, like, that takes up, that would be basically the, like, four, you'd get four, say, in a regular pack, you'd get four Seeker cards, right? And so this would be five Seeker cards. So are you, are we going to get, like, one for each class? So that would be, and then whatever else for the, uh, for the, uh, the encounter deck. Yeah, I'm interested to see that, too. Maybe maybe they only give one of the actual card that everything's bonded to, so that way it's four. But yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, the, I mean, they already said that it was like three. you get three copies of the bonded card. Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, but then it would make sense because you need to, to have two because otherwise, I mean, you're not going to be able to draw it. Well, it says, um, why don't we... Uh, read a cult lexicon here real quick just to give the listeners a reference to what we're talking about here. It's a two-cost asset bearing one intellect icon. It has the item, tome, and occult traits. It's limit one per deck, so that's relevant too. Uh, it has uh, an ability, forced. After a cult lexicon enters play, search your search your bonded cards for three copies of Blood Right. Add one to your hand and shuffle the other two copies into your deck. When a cult lexicon leaves play, find each of those each copies of Blood Right, even if they're out of play, and remove them from the game. So, the the lexicon is limit one per deck. So it is yeah, possible that they could. But they've released the other like uh, Ace in the Hole and those exceptional cards. You always get two. That's true. So I don't see why they would why they would only give you one. I mean, in it's, this case, it specifically ties to the Blood Right. So they're they're bonded right they're tied together so in a way the four cards kind of come as a package so i think it i think there's certainly a possibility for it that there that there'd just be one i mean why would they need two if there's a limit one per deck unless they're going to give you six copies of blood right i would think i don't know yeah that's that's an interesting point too yeah maybe maybe it is just you get it like you get the occult lexicon and then the three copies of blood right and that is the set that makes sense. I mean, I, th- I think they probably have to do it that way just because of, of packaging and whatnot. You couldn't. And I mean, there's there's I mean, I'm assuming each class is going to get a bonded card, which is not certainly not not necessarily the case. I mean, they could maybe occult lexicon is the only one in the in this pack. And we'll and we'll see uh, we'll see others, you know, in future expansions or whatever. Yeah, or they could just keep it to Seekers. I mean, Seekers are the only faction still that has cards that are that have kind of uh, mini missions in order to be able to upgrade them. So maybe it's going to be a Seeker thing. 
it's interesting you mentioned the side quest cards. Um, there hasn't actually been a side quest card in this campaign. No. That's true. So hmm. that's that's a first too. Um, yeah, I mean, if they did, if they did a bonded card in that, in that uh, hypothetical model that we were talking about, um, I mean, that's that's twenty cards right there. You do one for each class, so yeah. So you know, you're looking at a third of the mythos pack alone, just being those cards. Yeah, but um, I guess my concern with that is that you're basically getting, say that like the occult lexicon doesn't do anything, except take up a hand slot and get you the other three cards. Like, yeah. that's all it does. So assuming you get five cards that are basically the same template, doesn't do anything, takes up a slot, gets you the three other cards. Like, that to me seems like a... Like, if I open that pack, I'm like, well, what am I getting here? You know, I'm getting cards that aren't that interesting. Like, the bonded cards, sure, they may be really really interesting but the the cards that are triggering them aren't all that interesting yeah well you know um, it's a two cost asset that takes up a, a hand slot that's it basically yeah so until you get that until you get it into play and use it i mean it's it's not really doing anything yeah the player cards are definitely a selling point as well for for the mythos pack so they, it's in their best interest to to make interesting player cards for the pack. And if, if it's just a pack with just four of these sets or five of these sets, it definitely, I think, would hinder their their ability to sell that pack as much as they'd like to. Um, some people could just skip it. Yeah. So I mean, I, maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know what the sales are like of the, of the, uh, the Mythos packs, whether they tail off as the, as the uh, scenario, as the, the campaign wears on. Like whether people buy a lot, you know, okay, so like the first couple packs are quite popular and then people just sort of tail off as it, as it goes on. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe the that. retailer, maybe the retailer among us can shed some light on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I keep on whenever I think of the retail level uh, of Arkham, I keep on wanting to break, break packs up and sell the cards individually. Like, like magic cards. <laughs> which is a horrible thing um, I honestly don't really have an opinion on that at this moment but I think that will change hmm. well let me ask you this Nathan do you find sure. that um, people buy all of the Mythos packs or do you find that people tend to just buy the expan the deluxe expansions and the core set oh good question so I show the game a lot capital L-O-T and I sell, you know, one to four base games a day. Um, and people get excited and they come back. And it's like, you know, if you look at a bell curve, I'd say five to 15% somewhere in that region are, are kind of happy with that and they're chugging along and they're trying it out. And I would say a good 70%, 75% of them um, come back and they start, you know, they, they pick a cycle and I'll go through each of the cycles and I'll kind of explain the flavor and you know some people like the Indiana Jones aspect of the Forgotten Age and some people like the traditional Lovecraft of Dunwich and then there'll be that eh, 10 to 15% somewhere in that range 
that are like, give me everything that is ever made and then the secret stuff that no one knows about, you know. Um, and then we're also going to try to, knock on wood, maybe with the help of this podcast, maybe with uh, Vase and I, we're going to try and have a big event uh, to bring more people into the community. So, But I would say a lot of people tend to be, they, they tend to get more than just the, the deluxe, but a lot of them, in my experience, have have asked about the flavor like ooh this has witches ooh this has you know the the king in yellow cool I kind of know about that that's interesting so it tends to be that people pick mythos packs based on the the campaign story rather than from the from my experience yes but uh, you know we also have a very massive in my opinion subscription for the FFG packs when they come out um, because I've been in the store for nine years and I've done subscriptions for all of the FFG products, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Lord of the Rings, Netrunner, etc. For a while, Netrunner was pretty high. We had 20-some people. They would come pick up every single pack. Uh, with Arkham now, we're pushing 40, um, and it's just blowing away a lot of the other ones. And even then, we've got several people that want two ofs. So it's been awesome. That's great, yeah. Yeah, so and I I'm curious to see how they I mean when they introduce this new card type how they're going to package it, whether we're just going to get you know a little bit of you know blood right will be our first taste of it and then we'll see more later down the road or whether gotcha. uh, each each uh, class is going to get something in which case then you sort of have to play with the numbers of of cards in the pack and. And, uh, stuff well, like that's that basically because... their general formula now, right? It's where they go, this pack is rogue heavy, this pack is this heavy, so they they give you a little bit for each class on different times? Well, they seem to do that more during the Forgotten Age where they had sort of rogue, like one class would get the three cards in a pack while the others would get maybe one. And this time around, they seem to be spreading it fairly evenly. Like, I think... Um, the secret name each class got two uh wages of sin each class gets two um or i guess secret name had the gold cards so that's that's slightly different um they they didn't get two but i guess technically an enchanted blade is a guardian card so guardians did get two and hey cameron oh cameron i apologize man from length uh i have a quick question for you specifically i know you do a lot of oracle when you play, is that all you play, or do you ever play with the physical cards? I play with the physical cards uh, if I go to an event. Okay, but, but mostly I, you do the yeah, I I can play Octagon while I'm in bed. So Octagon? Why did I think it was Oracle? That's a totally different system, I'm sure. You know, like after we're done here recording here, I may go upstairs, lie in bed, and play Bang Off four games because it's it's easy and I don't have to have cards set up all over the place. True, true. Like I do, I, I do own. I do own two sets of the cards too. So. So you get double so, of everything. Yeah, I, I'm one of those guys who buys two because when I when I do build decks, I don't want to have to swap cards. Uh, I hate that. I hate. Uh, I, I hate yeah. doing. Nathan that. has how many core sets are you are you at now, Nathan? You know what? It's not all about me. Vase, <laughs> how, how many? How many of each of the uh, packs do you usually get? Well, I, I buy more copies of the packs that have the better player cards or the player cards okay. that I'm more interested in. Uh, 
minimum two of each pack. Um, some packs, uh, like just recently, I, I got a few more um, Echoes of the Past. Uh, so I, I'm up to, I think, four copies of that one. And there's a few others that I've gotten four copies of. Then the Deluxe Expansions. Uh, I like to have the entire campaign already pre-built, all the encounter yeah, decks and everything. Yeah, that's expensive. I do the same darn thing. Yeah, yeah. So for as as the cycles have gone on, I've needed more copies of the deluxe oh, expansions. So like Forgotten Age took more. It's like more... five or six, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, I have a feeling Circle and Done will end up being like eight of them. Um, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that just. Made I, me I would love good. to be able to do that to play, you know, with physical cards, but that's that pushes the that pushes it <laughs> yeah, even too far insane. too far for me. Oh, storage storage is a problem. Storage is a big problem. But I do have multiple decks for multiple investigators. So like, I'll have three Daisy decks built and three, four, five Carolyn decks built. It's just it's nice to have that too. Yeah, uh, yes, Carolyn the botanist. <laughs> Nate, um, how many do you usually get? Uh, so I'm just the average guy who just buys one of everything that, except the is that legal? Much. Is that moral? Uh, I don't know. Barely, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just recently picked up Guardians of the Abyss a couple weeks ago, so Neat. I mean, I'm actually kind of slacking in that regard. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I don't own all the books, you know. I'm, I'm just I'm the scrub. What can I say? Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a level of interest where you buy some of the packs and you get involved. And then I think, you know, as per human nature, there's people out there that are completionists or that are like, you know what, this is my passion. This is my favorite game. I'm going to get everything. And you'll definitely see that, like on the Facebook groups and stuff. It's like, hey, the only thing I'm missing is the special playmat from when they did the Investigators of Arkham. I will buy that playmat or I want, you know, the original beta tested cards from Arkham Knights 2017 or whatever the case may be. But, um, I mean, in, in whatever format people do it, I think that it's awesome. I've got some cool cards from, uh, did they ever come out with the Arkham Chronicles about the loot? No, no. Oh, it's so good. There's so much good stuff, but I have to wait once again. I'm so sorry for the, Official Arkham Chronicles. Yeah. All right. So next topic. What are where are we going? Uh. Well, before we close off, uh, the <laughs> before the Black Throne, I did kind of quickly sure. want to mention the level four, uh, six sense. Okay. Uh, Mystic Asset, which bears two intellect icons, is a spell. Costs uh, three resources and has an action that says investigate. Investigate using willpower instead of intellect. You get plus two intellect for this investigation. If a skull, cultist, uh, tablet, sorry, or... Sorry, you get plus two willpower for this investigation, right? Yes, sorry, yes, yes, yes. If a skull, cultist, uh, tablet, or elder thing symbol is revealed during this test, you may choose a revealed location up to two connections away from your location. You are now investigating as if you were at the chosen location in addition to your location. You may use either shroud value. And it, of course, takes an arcane slot. So, what do you guys think about this uh, version or the level zero version? Well, well it definitely gives play, more versatility. You can play this version with Eldritch Inspiration, so you can investigate three locations at once. So, would wow. that nab you three clues? Yep. 
that's yeah, that's that's wow. how I read the card. If you pull a if you pull a special token, you can resolve its action twice with Eldritch Inspiration. So you could pick two locations and get three clues. Now I don't that's think you so I don't think you can do that with the regular version because it says you you're investigating it instead of. Oh, uh, right, the, right. Instead of your location, so doubling it doesn't do any good. Yes. But this one you can double, so uh, I might be wrong about that, but that's just my interpretation of the card. But with this one, yeah, I think it definitely works. That you can grab three clues. I think. And, you're in, and you get to pick from three different shroud values at plus two, which is that's pretty good. Yeah, which isn't. Oh, that's insane. true. Yeah, it's it's definitely. A, a card that mystics needed especially for solo or for heavy support when you want uh, a cluver for from your mystic player yeah backup for sure yeah like you don't need charges for this one like you need for right of seeking um yeah i mean basically it hits the table and you can investigate with willpower that's that's like I think the the level zero version that the if you draw a special token. I mean that's it's that's okay, but um, I guess typically when I play, I'm not really all that concerned about investigating locations I'm not at, and it's going to be hard to predict that unless you're playing some heavy um, chaos bag manipulation. And what's the the recent spell that gives you another spell slot? Uh, sign sign magic. magic, right? So people are saying that that that's already going to see more play because that way you don't have to fight between uh, what is it, Mist of Riley, uh, Shriveling, etc., etc. And of course, Sixth Sense is also viable, especially if you want to pick up the pace on clues. Yeah, my only complaint about six uh, sign magic is it costs three, which mm. is, I mean, all you're getting out of that is a soul. All you're getting is a <laughs> slot you're not getting anything else for three so if you're trying to set up as a mystic you're already going i mean you're already running into to resource problems so shelling out for another three just to get that extra slot is going to be like i don't i i think you know if i look at something like sixth sense where you've got somebody like say akachi who is all about the charges you know i think she may probably stick with right of seeking so something like Sixth Sense isn't as interesting to her as it will be to, to some of the other mystics out there. But she starts at a 5 willpower? Yeah, she starts so at 5 willpower. So she would boost willpower. to a 7? That's kind of cool. For solo, for multiplayer, I think definitely um, Riot Seeking is, gives her plenty of, plenty of clue-gathering potential, especially if she gets her, her um, signature card out. Yeah. Then she... She basically has I mean, this, I mean this this level four six sense is pretty is is good in multiplayer if you've got everybody sort of spread out a little bit and then you can I mean you're hitting for three clues as long as you've got some sort of manipulation you can work with. Uh, so it, like to me you you pretty much have to play this with dark prophecy if you wanna Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Or olive to, to really leverage it. Or olive some you need something. You can't just sit there and hope that you're gonna. Premonition yeah. would be decent too if you could. I knew you were gonna say token. that. Yeah, but the but the nice thing is, is about this card is that it doesn't require charges. So, whereas something like 
um, right of seeking where it's like say if it, if this had charges on it you'd have to blow a charge and you're hoping to draw one of those special tokens without having to deal with the charges now you can just say okay i investigate three times you're going to just be able to do more investigate actions so you're going to be pulling more tokens naturally so you're going to have more chances to pull those special tokens that's a good whereas point. if if six cents had charges on it you'd really need to like i i i wouldn't play it probably without having because you'd really want to pull those special tokens whereas if i'm just if i'm just investigating it's like i take three investigate actions i get to see three tokens anyway chances you know chances are i might pull one that's a really good that's a really good perspective um and it still saves you the action from having to move to the other location, investigate there, and then move back if you were heading in one direction. It's actually it seems like it's a really really useful card, unlike its sister card, <laughs> Wither. Mm. So that was a nice segue into our next topic here. Um, why don't we go ahead and uh, talk about our first impressions of the. Of the wages of sin player cards. Ah, uh... uh, you drug us into it. I, I was going to do a segue. Oh, hey, quick segue. So, I don't think this was ever talked about on any of the other podcasts, but it is very important. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the very first adventure in the Forgotten Age? Untamed Wilds? A little yes. bit. So, in Untamed, in Untamed Wilds, you have the Etsley Guardians. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they shoot at um, spaces that they are not in that are adjacent to them, right? Yes. I hope I'm not giving anything away. Can you imagine if you were like just standing next to him and he was just doing that awkward silence like two strangers or, or the people in the Beetlejuice waiting room they're just kind of looking at each other and he's like, why don't, you, why don't you go stand over there? Why don't you move over one location? Because you know he's just going <laughs> to shoot you in the ass. All right, I apologize. Continue with the segue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you had mentioned Wither. Uh, why don't you go ahead and read that for our listeners' face? Oh, man, it's actually kind of blurry on my screen, so let me... Uh... Someone else read it if you have it up. Sorry. Wither is a two-cost mystic asset that takes up an arcane slot. It has a uh, combat uh, skill icon, and it you may take the action fight. This attack uses willpower instead of uh, combat. If you draw a Skull Cultist tablet or Elder Thing symbol is revealed during this attack, the attacked enemy gets minus one fight and minus one evade for the remainder of the turn to a minimum of one. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit in our pre-show, and uh, yeah, we I think we all kind of mutually came to the to the conclusion that this card's kind of a hot pile. Was um, this what you talked about right before I logged in? Yes. Because yes. otherwise, I would have said "wither" sounds like "mother" from Danzig when you say it right. <laughs> wither. I love that song. Tell your children not to walk. Yeah, well, tell your children not to play this card because it's bad. Uh, or build a deck around it. Yeah. Also that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Like when I read a card like this, I'm always terrified that I'm going to miss something, or that I'm missing the point. But. I mean, okay, so it doesn't use charges, that's fine. So you just get to fight with willpower instead of combat, that's fine. If you draw a special symbol, 
you get to fight better the next time you fight, but you're still only doing one damage per attack. Well, and hold on a second, though. I think you raised a good point, right? When you can take someone who can fight with their key attribute, like an Akechi or someone who has a five, and it doesn't have charges, you, you basically are able to filter her powers, if need be, to deal with situations like Daisy, right? She, well, if, if you had a fight with intellect, but I'm just saying it kind of gives you more options. It's not the best, but. Like what, a, Agnes is a five, right? So Agnes takes it, she attacks somebody, hits for five once and does one damage. Like, but, and then if she draws a special token, you can make the next fight action a little bit easier. So now maybe instead of going five versus four, you're going five versus three. Well, not just that. Hold on. It's fight and dodge? And evade, yes. Because that could tie in with things like creatures from... I'm not going to give any spoilers, but if you ever fight creatures where you need to evade them to do things, you know... I, I don't know. I I think the purpose when they made this card was probably as a backup to shriveling, where if you're fighting a three health monster, you don't want to use a shriveling charge because they're very limited and sure, you don't want to waste sure. a, a two damage charge. So you wither them. But if wither was like the minus one fight and evade, it, it's just so confusing because you would in that case, you would use wither last. You would use wither after you shrivel. Because you want to make sure they're going to die um, before you hit them for one point of damage. So I don't know, like if unless, unless you're, I mean, okay, so you play it with Eldritch Inspiration, you resolve it twice to go minus two fight, minus two evade. Maybe you're lucky and you drop them to zero, and now you're shriveling. shriveling. Now you're shriveling and you're auto hitting unless you draw a tentacle. I mean, that's a very specific case, I guess. But if it were if. If this spell got a bonus to hit, I think it would definitely, even a plus one to hit, it, its use would be far more feasible in combination with shriveling because you're more likely to hit with this, so you attack with this first, and now the enemy gets that minus one, so now you shrivel them. But in normal use, I can't see myself using this and then shriveling. I see and I want to clarify, first. I wasn't trying to be a champion for the spell so much as look at it from a different perspective but it might have combos down the way we don't know what they're coming out with yeah well perspective is great because sometimes there's something we may not have thought about you know and um someone brings up a really good point that makes us change our mind that's great um and the, I'll let the you minus know one happens. fight and minus one evade is just for your turn too like if it lasted until yeah. the end of the round it yeah. would be yeah, I thought now there you've got something that's interesting but yeah if it's just okay so you wither Presumably, you want to wither first so you can make your next two fight actions or evade well, that would actions be right there. easier. That would be a great upgrade, wouldn't it? That that if it lasted for the entire round, or also or gave got you a plus bonus. to hit, yeah. or or an extra one to damage. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, cool there's, options. There's definitely a lot of options in that regard, but yeah, I th I think it's you know, there are instances like they said where you don't want to use your shriveling charge, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think the other problem is too. Like, what are you, what are you taking out of your Mystic decks to play this card? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because uh, I, I didn't have an answer for that one. 
So yeah, I, I think that's yeah. another problem too. Is you know I think people tend to talk about all these cards that come out and say, well, it's good in these circumstances, but well, how many of us have played Magic? You only have. Years? I've played Magic for at least twelve years. So. Right, and I mean, how many cards do they come out with? And when you glance at a new set of a hundred cards, you're like. Okay, there's a lot of cards in there that if you know someone plays them, you're going to beat them because they don't know how to play. <laughs> and there's a few true, cards yep. that are so good that you could, you know, theoretically be dead and buried for 20 years, wake up, and your first day you'll just know that it's a good card. I mean, I, I think in, in these cases, every once in a while they make a card just so people can have fun with the possibility, not necessarily make it work per se. I don't know. I keep thinking that when I see some of these cards, I'm like, okay, well, there's going to be somebody who builds a deck around this because it's weird. It might never see Labyrinths of Lunacy competitive play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's I guess it's okay in those extremely, like, heavy enemy management mystic builds where you're just looking to, you know, engage a bunch of enemies and throw shrivelings and withers at them and... I mean, but Dude, we're also sort of stuff, we're right? also sort of assuming in this that you are going to pull a special token, which is not not guaranteed right. by any stretch. Yeah. So I mean, to me, I would read it as fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. Right. That that's all it does most of the time. Mm -hmm. So you're doing one damage with your willpower instead of. Well, and the only other case I can add to this is if you could add things into your fight. Like if you could throw in a, a vicious blow or whatever, not that the fight pips would help, but the extra damage since it's attached to a fight action. Well, you know you, you can't, can't commit it. You can't no? commit it because it's it, uh, it doesn't have matching icons. Okay, erase yeah. that. Otherwise, I'll look like a complete idiot to everybody. <laughs> yeah, hey, if they, if 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 hey. mystics get like an extra damage card, okay, then then this I think becomes better. Yeah, but I. Yeah, it's to me it's sort of like interesting. I at mean, best. which which mystic wants to fight for one damage? I mean, yeah, you save a shriveling charge. That's, I mean, maybe maybe you're playing it in addition to to shriveling. But then you've got, I mean, if you need to do any, like if I'm playing solo, I would have, I would typically play shriveling and right of seeking, so. I'm well, yeah, and even play even this, if you were gonna, and I'm certainly not going to play sign magic, so I can have this as well. <laughs> you know, there's oh, five. Just bringing it home. There's uh, another five resources to spend. Even if you were to to use this in the rare case, like you know, fighting the Rukuru or something, or, or some creature where you could debuff it. I don't know. It's still very niche, so it's tough. It's a tough call. Yeah, I think you're. I think we're drawing thin on the uh, amount yeah. of uses you could find so for this card. Um, <laughs> now uh, that's a good card. Yeah. Speaking of drawing thin, uh, drawing thin <laughs> is a zero cost asset bearing one into uh, one willpower skill icon. It is the talent trait, and it has a reaction that states: when you initiate a skill test, exhaust drawing thin, increase the difficulty of the skill test by two, gain two resources, or draw one card. So yeah, that seems really good. That's especially, awesome, especially in combination with a card like Lucky, uh, yeah, Lucky Rabbit's Foot, where you want to fail skill tests anyway. So this can potentially just turn into 
draw or draw two cards or gain two resources and draw a card for a skill test that seems pretty good wow that's i didn't realize that this was something that there was an asset that could you could just keep using every round that's that's a really nice engine for card draw and resources mm-hmm. yeah and you don't have to pass the skill test that's the nice i mean you just get the stuff no matter also, what and you're gonna it, there's gonna be tests that you don't care about it's sort of like take heart in a way right sort of like an asset version of that where there are going to be tests that you're going to fail regardless of what you do so you might as well get something out of it it's also worth noting that it costs zero so it, it could potentially see play in dark horse builds yeah oh wow yeah. And you get to draw, I mean, you get the resources or a card, so Dark Horse will take the card probably most of the time. Yeah, unless it wants, like, two resources to play a Fire Axe or something right away. I mean, this this is a Fire Axe machine right here. (laughs) Oh, that too, yeah. Spend two, you get plus four, you increase the difficulty by only two, and then you get two more resources, so you get plus four on your next attack. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, that's a good, I mean, this is a good card. Yeah, the Fire Axe combos is is nice. And I mean, survivors don't have a ton of resource generation as it is. I think Take Heart was the first one they'd gotten besides Emergency Cash. So here's another one that, that I mean, you could play it in a Dark Horse build or if you want to just um, jack up your resources to play some of those if you want to play one of those more um, all those expensive events they have like cunning distraction cunning distraction cunning distraction yeah an amazing card that gets little play because of survivors just being poor generally yeah so man you know also this card kind of gives me the feeling that because now we've got a survivor seeker card and rogue cards that that grant grant them more resource generation in this cycle, so we're only missing Mystic and and uh, Guardian. I bet they're gonna get some kind of resource generating cards as well. Yeah, well, Mystics have the uh, what is that? Sacrifice that lets you yeah. discard a Mystic. Asset oh, that's true from resources. last cycle. And yeah. uh, transmutation. But but I'm sorry, um, what'd you say? I didn't I didn't quite hear. There's you. also uh, what is the. <laughs> The transmutation card lets you turn Alch- stuff into alchemical transmutation. and forbidden knowledge. Yeah. They do have a few, but they're all Uncaged pretty. Uncage the soul. Forbidden knowledge. Well, but uh, sacrifice is yeah. is a level one card. Most of the ones that the factions have gotten in this cycle are level zero cards. So who knows? Yeah. I I think it, there's a good chance we'll see um, a mystic and guardian one. I mean, they're the ones who need the need the resources more than. Yeah. More than uh, survivors do. I, I was mean, survivors can get by with very little, whereas guardians and mystics are like, I'll take as much as I can get. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was thinking of a neat uh, card designed for a guardian resource generation card. It would be neat if you like um, were able to discard uh, an item asset that had all of its ammo used in order to gain resources equal to the amount of ammo that was. Um, printed on the card so say for instance you you used all the shots in your 45 and then you played the card and then it gave you resources equal to the amount of ammo that it had it's called it's called pawn shop 
pawn shop, you pawn your gun and you get resources for it. There you it. go. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a cool <laughs> card. Something something like that. It would be neat. Or maybe mm. you gain resources equal to the item's resource cost or something like that. But I, yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Does any anyone else have anything to say about drawing thin or? No, I think you summed it up right when you first started talking about it. It's it's useful and has that. Um, uh, what was the one? Uh, the the spell or skill that you can use. Take heart. Thank, thank you. Take heart. Yeah. yeah, that would be a nice alternate for that. Oh, uh, and the artwork is so cool on this card. The oh, guys, yeah. the guys. I think it's a gun. He's like putting bullets into but yeah i think <laughs> so i think he's tell. like yeah he's like trying to cram cram a magazine into the gun um but speaking of survivor cards in this pack i think the other survivor card is really sweet for rita specifically um belly of the beast does anyone want to give that a read all right i'll read this one since i i couldn't read the other one it's a uh survivor event gambit trick traded costs one resource uh, with the willpower and um, agility icons. It's fast. Play after you successfully evade an enemy by two or more. Discover one clue at that enemy's location. Yeah, this is like automatic two of in her deck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wish I had this card with my Return to Dunwich Legacy playthrough. My goodness. This card would have been amazing. I think it's really interesting that this card says at the enemy's location, so it's like very obviously made for Rita. After you trigger her reaction and you move, you still get the clue from the previous location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they had to have been specific for that reason. And it's Makes it's sense. nice to see that they address solo Rita's glaring problem of her inability to get clues. Just well, wondering if there's, I mean, it's obviously a, a good Rita card. I'm just wondering if there's anybody else who might be interested in it. Maybe Wendy? But Maybe Wendy. It is an event. She yeah. can duplicate it. So, you know, evading, discovering clues. It's fast. It's so fast. It doesn't cost an action, which yeah, is cool. That, it'd be nice to have with her amulet on the table so you can use it multiple Agreed. times yep. to grab a bunch of clues. And at least in Wendy, too, you know, if it's not useful, you can always just pitch it for their ability, so. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I no, think this card's interesting. Um, not really I much mean, to anything, say. I mean, anything with Discover Clue on it is going to be is gonna be very tempting for to put in your deck. Especially since you don't have to, well, you do have to make a skill test here because you've got to successfully evade an, an enemy, so. It's not as it's not like uh, Intel report, where you just get the clue without having to do anything for it. True, but yeah, at least you're not spending an additional action to do it. So no, there is that. Yeah, um, no, that's a good one. Yeah, are there any other cards in this pack you guys are interested in? Uh, Mr. Rook. Hello, Mr. Rook. Yeah, Mr. you had said you liked that one quite a bit, didn't you? Who? Mr. Rook. I'm saying, who are you talking to me about that? Oh, one of you three. No, uh... I think Mr. Rook, Rook is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I think uh, it's... Maybe it was you, but we had we chatted about it in Discord, and I think somebody was like, 
Mr. Rook! Exclamation point. Yeah, he's sweet. It's uh, interesting. I I don't know yet. I, I want to test play him to see how I really feel about him. But he's definitely got... He's piqued my interest. Um, someone want to read what he does? Uh, I sure. Can. Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Sorry, I did not mean to steal your thunder. Thousand no, apologies. please, by all means. Uh, Mr. Rook costs three. It has a uh, willpower icon. Willpower, willpower pip, sorry. Uh, uses three secrets. Ally, of course. It's a two heart, two sanity. Uh, as a fast effect, exhaust Mr. Rook and spend one secret. Search the top three, six, or nine cards of your deck for any card and draw it. If at least one weakness is among the search cards, draw one of them as well. Shuffle your deck. And of course, here's the great quote. Are you sure you want to know? There is no going back. I love the flavor text. That's awesome. Yeah, this card seems sweet. I mean, being able to control your ability to draw your weaknesses when you want to seems cool. While also while also still getting a draw on top of it seems... Well, yeah. And if your weaknesses are gone, then you're just like, bam, what do I want? Yeah, yeah this card's nothing but gravy at that point. Yeah, and it's a it's a tutor that's a free triggered ability, not an action. Mm-hmm. Like oh. uh, no stone unturned if takes you an action. This takes you an action to get him down, but you're getting a an ally body on top of that and three tutors. Yeah, it's also worth noting that he has two health too, which is um, Rare not something for, uh, that yeah. seeker ally. Yeah. So I think this card is. I, I, honestly, I think this card has contention slots with uh, Dr. Merlon Christopher. Now, let's not get carried away. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, while he doesn't generate the uh, Hold on a second, Nate. I'm trying to erase you from existence. Give me just a minute. <laughs> I think I kind of agree with, with Nate, though, for certain builds, it's definitely, like, Milan Christopher used to be an auto-include in every single Seeker deck, but I, I don't think he necessarily needs to be in every single Seeker deck anymore. Well, even even for off-class Seekers, too. For example, um, Min, Min Typhon, uh, I think would rather have Mr. Rook than Milan Christopher. Like, well, yeah, they used to date, though. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that that would explain why. But uh, um, Dan on good terms, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think for that... <laughs> I think for for her, uh, you know, someone like um, uh, who else could could probably use him pretty well. I guess um, uh, Joe. I think Joe Gators could use him pretty well. Oh yeah, he is a level zero after all. Um, yeah, I mean, any car, any deck that's really you know looking for specific cards, this is a great ally to have. Yeah. Combo yeah, if decks. If you're trying to set up a combo, then you need this. You need somebody like this who can who who you can tap multiple times to to try to find that card. Um, yeah, and yeah, just the fact that he he's able to get your weaknesses out of your deck early while uh, not robbing you of a draw, I think, is kind of a unsung power of this card. Yeah, you know, definitely. the fact that it doesn't take your, your upkeep phase or a draw action to get rid of your weaknesses, I think, is That's a really, important. really good point I hadn't thought about. Uh, let me reread this. So you, okay, so you actually can draw, still draw, pick a card from the ones that you pulled 
and your weakness. So you're still getting a card in addition to your weakness. And then on your turn, because you got your weakness out of your deck, you're less likely to draw something yeah. bad. Yeah, during huh. upkeep, you're less likely to draw your weakness. So you're getting a card, a weakness, and then you're going to likely get another card rather than your weakness during your upkeep. Yeah. And I think um, another thing that's wow. worth noting, too, is that you can put more secrets on him, too, with cards like Enraptured and... Uh, yeah, Truth the, from the Fiction. Na- yeah, the name escaped me there. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I think it's definitely worth looking at if you're not needing resources in the Seeker, but you need specific cards. Yeah, as the... long as Amnesia is not your weakness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You like, just went okay, there. you get one card. <laughs> you get you get to pick a card, and then you get to pick a card and toss the rest. But what's neat too is um, if you happen to draw multiple weaknesses, you can choose uh, the less shitty one, I guess, out of the two. Yeah. So that's a that's a neat little interaction there too. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I like Alice Luxley too. I think she's pretty good in certain decks um i know we kind of briefly talked about her in the pre-show too but um man do you want to do you want to read this card for the audience here sure alice lexley fearless flatfoot is a guardian asset with the ally trait well she's an ally she's an ally detective and police costs four has an intellect skill icon two health two sanity you get plus one intellect, and she has the response after you discover a clue, exhaust her to deal one damage to an enemy at your location. So what kind of um, guardian deck do you think wants an ally like Alice? Well, I think Roland likes her, for sure. I mean, he's got he's already playing a lot of those cards to help him cheat clues, and he cheats clues himself. So dealing that extra damage on top of it is is always going to be nice. He's the one that immediately comes to mind, but you know, plus one plus one intellect is pretty hard to ignore. So um Leo Anderson probably likes her too. I'd I'd even consider playing her in in if I'm playing Zoe solo, I'd consider her as well. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because you you need that intellect boost with Zoe. Yeah, you get the intellect boost and you get you get a little bit of extra damage that you don't have to uh like if you're if you go guns and you're not using as many as many ammo. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um what do you think about Alice in a Joe Diamond deck where you can, you know, play work a hunch for free and get a clue and then deal damage to an enemy you're engaged with. Yeah. I think Joe Diamond definitely is is a good option for her too. Yeah. 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 She's a I mean she's a good ally. She's she's cost 4, so I mean you're going to have to cut something if you want to play her. But uh, you know, that plus 1 intellect is is always going to be good. If if you need to discover clues and in solo, you that's you have to do it all yourself. So, the the ability to pawn a damage on to something as well 
is awfully nice. And that, I mean, that enemy doesn't have to be engaged with you. So if you're in multiplayer, somebody you can take out something or, you know, if you're playing in the Forgotten Age and you've got all those three health enemies that you've got to deal with, dumping a damage on one of those helps out the Guardian. So he spends less, you know, he can spend less of his resources taking it out because now it's got two health instead of three. Um, yeah, and in it's, the, it's just in the pre-show we uh, talked about. Uh, I think it was you, Lang, that mentioned the whippoorwills. Yeah, um, it hits aloof it's... enemies as well, so you can tag oh, yeah, that, the whippoorwills. You can tag the uh, the man in the pallid mask with this. Um, you could almost like, I guess theoretically. Well, I don't know if there's any. I don't think there are any three clue locations in Curtain Call, but. I mean, if you drop Alice down, you can tag him for a damage. And so you're, and then uh, if you can tag him for a damage, then engage him and then kill him in a turn rather than have to deal with that three health. I mean, that's where I think she really shines is, is, uh, is against those types of enemies. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. That's a great point. Um, yeah. Well, Alice may be a great ally. Unfortunately, Henry is not. And I don't even think we're gonna bother reading this card because it's bad. Oh, sorry. Sorry to any Henry Wong enthusiasts. It sounds like Nathan wants to read him for sure. Henry Wong. (laughs) Well, he's a one of. Um, We have Henry Wong, aspiring actor. You get uh, for three cost. It has a agility pip. Uh, Action ally criminal. Criminal is important. Uh, action exhaust Henry one one at a time reveal random tokens from the chaos bag until you choose to stop or until you reveal a skull cultist bag or probably tablet elder thing nasty symbol uh, if you choose to stop for each token revealed via this effect you may either draw a card or gain a resource and if you do reveal one of those symbols do nothing so it's a, a push your luck but I mean this goes into uh, if you're dealing with a, if you have a Father Mateo or a Culver or somebody in your deck, in your deck, I can't talk today, in your group who is, uh, who's obviously increasing the bag's chances. I mean, it could be fun. Yeah, I did, I did some math on this guy and Uh-oh. figured that basically you, it's 50-50 that you get a card or a resource which, I mean, if you just took an action to draw a card or a resource, sure, you have a 100% chance. So he reduces you to 50-50 on the first pull, and then it just gets worse from there. Did you see he so, was an aspiring actor, though? Yeah, I saw he was aspiring, and then, you know... I mean, I him was, and Yorick, they could just... You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, yeah, I, this is called the... We're going to go just, like, do some adventure while we're waiting to get called back, because they said they would contact us. So so would he- so would you play Henry One in a Lola Hayes deck or? Ooh, that's star power though. I don't. Could, that's what you'd be able to compete. <laughs> yeah, but you'd have to be a rogue all the time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's uh, true. Would uh, you somebody... really want to just stay as a rogue just so you can use Henry every turn? So, I mean, what... we're playing Lola, so we're already kind of assuming a lot here. <laughs> yeah, and also, yeah, shots fired. If uh, if it were draw a card and gain one resource, do you guys think he would be at least some ally to consider in certain decks? 
Yeah, well then you'd at least be getting you'd be getting two of something. Like to me it it doesn't make sense to just I mean you're risking you've got to pull at least twice. Like if you're not pulling twice, you're not getting anything. So right. yeah. and and your odds drop I mean, you're already at 50% starting off. I, this is based on numbers from the Untamed Wild. But if you're 50% starting off and then you're down to 35 or, or whatever on your second pull, I mean, most of the time, you're going to get nothing out of this. Well, but doesn't this card just simply favor people that want to take a chance? I mean, without... And I mean, I respect the math that went into it because at the end of the day, you're separating the you know wheat from the chaff there. But for casual players, the casual players that would play, you know, like, Wither, would they not want to, like, do this? Be like, boom, I'm going to just keep going, and boom, I got four cards. It, is it also a card you want to use when you're desperate? Like, hey, I need resources. Mm-hmm. I need blank. I've got to go for it. I mean, I, if rogue, they, if, but no. If there's somebody out there who draws 10 cards or gains 10 resources with this thing, then <laughs> then drop me a line at manfromlangatgmail.com because <laughs> I want to hear about it. I, I, I really want to hear about it. Yeah, I, I, we, we, but yeah, email all of us, please. I, don't, I just don't think it's going to happen all that all right. often. And, all right. and, and I don't have... I, people can play whatever cards they want. I mean, I, I, I play a bunch of, of garbage cards in my decks as well from time to time. But um, this card to me is just it. I mean, there's so many better allies than this guy. Right. That it's and just... that, that ultimately is the one of the key questions we we're going to discuss today, which is, you know, should we go with the allies that everybody runs because they've universally been great? Or do we go with allies we like for whatever reason? Or do we try an ally out? Because, hey, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, we all know the worst that can happen, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I just think when the game is... I mean, the game can be hard enough sometimes that that to play a card like this where you're, you're taking risks sort of unnecessarily just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's just, that's just me. I... I, I having done the math on this guy, I I, I probably will never play him because I just I know when I'm drawing, I'm not getting I'm not getting value. And let's not forget, he costs three to play, so you're already kind of down three resources and an action and an action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I mean, yeah. At minimum, at minimum, you're spending three resources and two actions just to even attempt this test in the first place. So. Yeah, and then I saw some some people who were saying, "Oh, well, you play him with chaos bag manipulation and all that." It's just like, so now you're going to spend three resources on Henry, and then another couple resources on your manipulation cards. So you're just digging yourself a deeper and deeper hole. Yeah, and ho- and and Henry is never going to get you out of it. You're it never going like to be you're... able to use him enough to get him to get your to get your value out of that. Yeah, it feels like you're you're kind of like a show dog, you know, like jumping through hoops and doing all these things to just get a, a nice big blue ribbon at the end of the day when you could have just done, like I said, if you done if like you a get, gain gain a resource you, action. If you gain <laughs> ten cards or ten resources, let us know because. Yeah, I would really love to be proven wrong about this, but yeah, and I think um, 
I think the same kind of jumping through hoops thing applies to the Hawkeye folding camera too. Um, yeah, it has potential. It's just you have to draw it early. Yeah. So um, the the Hawkeye folding camera is a is a um, two cost asset. It has the item and tool traits. It takes up the hand slot and bears one willpower skill icon. It has a reaction ability that states, after the last clue is discovered from your location, place one resource from the token pool on this card as evidence. Limit once per game at each location. Well, Hawkeye Folding Camera has one or more evidence, you get plus one willpower. Two or more evidence, you get plus one intellect. Or three or more evidence, you get plus one sanity. So, we, yeah, we again kind of talked about this in the pre-show. I think, I think this card's neat, but I think you're... You're jumping through a lot just to get this powered up for a pretty it like it's a decent bonus, but again, you're you're having to rely on discovering the last clues on locations and you're also reliant on these stats to be even useful by the time that you get these pieces of evidence on the on the camera in the first place. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, it really depends on the scenario and the layout of the like like we were saying, like if you play this in the gathering, you draw, I mean, you've got to hit studio, cellar and attic before this thing is you've got your three evidence. So, if you clear studio, you get plus 1 willpower, which is pretty good. But then if you clear, so then you'd probably want to go clear attic, so you get the plus one intellect, and then you go clear cellar, because it's the highest shroud location. And then you get the, you'll get the plus one sanity, which would come in handy at the end. But it's, I mean, that's assuming that you draw this on turn one. If you don't get it out early enough, then it's going to be nothing. It's a, it's, you're pitching it to a skill test. Hey, uh, I have one. I have one quick question. Um, I know that everybody was clamoring for me to do my uh, my allies quiz. Do we want to do that before or after we all pick our favorite ally to play? Uh, ooh, we can do that afterward. Let's do it after. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to start talking about our favorite allies? Yeah, I think, I so. think so. Yeah. My favorite ally is Carolyn Fern, the botanist. Go face. <laughs> She's so talented. She's a botanist and a psychologist. And um, an ally. <laughs> and an ally, yeah. Uh, you know, one that that I've been kind of looking to experiment with a little more is Aquina. The, um, what's the, <laughs> I forget Aquina, what. Aquina, the, the forgotten, forgotten daughter. daughter. The forgotten daughter, well, It makes yeah, sense you forgot her sub, sub name. Exactly, and most people have. But uh, Right of Seeking blog had this really funny article for the jankiest combo with Aquina and um, uh, Kerosene. Sounds like someone's taking a shower there. Um, <laughs> kerosene and Aquina, and it's just an awesome and hilarious article, and I, I really want to be able to pull it off. Uh, Aquina's actually a pretty decent ally. Uh, let me read her text here. Uh, she There's two versions of her, but the level three version is the better one. She's a four-cost ally, level three from Survivor with a willpower and agility uh, pips. And her reaction ability is when an enemy attacks you, exhaust Aquina and deal one heart to her. Deal that enemy's damage to any enemy at your location instead. You still take the heart dealt by the attack. And she's got one health and four uh, sanity. So 
basically you deal horror to her uh enemy attacks you and you take whatever horror that enemy deals but then that enemy's damage goes you can redirect it right back to it which is pretty neat and then you can just heal the horror afterwards using kerosene or any other kind of horror horror healing uh kind of card when enemies die like um what's that other one where if you kill it's a oh if it bleeds so you if can it, play if like it bleeds if it bleeds kerosene yeah and uh it's it's really a combo that it's extremely hard to get all the pieces into play but it sounds like it'd be a ton of fun if you're able to pull it off so i i've been interested in, in trying that out i like how you also say there's two versions of her like there's the regular Quinn of the Forgotten Daughter that's happy, you know, in her tribal village somewhere, and then there's the one that wakes up five days into Burning Man with a weird taste in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yep, regular and forgotten. Yep, two versions. So, uh, what about you, Nathan? What's what's oh, no, an ally? No, it's just like freeze tag. You can't just turn it around and tag the person. Uh, Man from Lang. <laughs> Uh, my favorite would have to be Peter Sylvester. Big man he, on campus. He's amazing. He wins me games. I'm Horror never sad to see him. He's he's incredibly solid. My other one would be the lowly art student. <laughs> she is also amazing. She just, uh, I mean, she grabs you a clue. That's, did you ever? That's did the you name ever, of the game. Oh yeah. Did you ever read Brian Sandberg uh, out of Canada, Right of Seeking, his ode to the art student, all the many times he sacrificed him? No. No. <laughs> I but, gotta read uh, that. <laughs> but she's. I mean, she's she's cheap and she's good. So. You can you can actually do a janky combo with art student and Mister. Well, no. Well, you'd have to have charisma for it, but Mister Rook and art student put two art students in your deck and then just keep and then calling in favors back and forth just start picking out free clues it, I've never been able to get calling in favors to work very well for me I think you need you need to play a lot of allies in it to you know, mm -hmm. deck to get that thing to to fire I tried it in my Zoe deck and it just I didn't I don't think I had enough allies to really pull it off yeah, that's why you use Mr. Deck. Rook use Mr. Rook, you get the al you find the allies, put them in your hand, and then once they're already in your hand, now you're now you're calling in favors. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Alright, you've piqued my interest. <laughs> Nate, what would you say uh, your favorite ally to use is? Ooh, uh, my favorite ally to use is probably Lola Santiago. Oh, man, those... Ooh. Yeah, where in the world is she? <laughs> Not only that, she's just, she's great. I mean, the double stat boost is amazing, and the the free Tesla's clues all day, man, just soaking them up. Let's, let's go. No nonsense. Getting straight to the point. Yeah, she's great. Um, but, yeah, my, my close second runner-up I'm going to mention is Mr. Rook, because I really do think that this guy is going to be uh, seeing a lot of play once people, you know, start working him into decks. I could see that. Uh, I'm sorry, Vase, did you get a second place choice? Um, I'm going to go with Mr. Rook as well. Okay. Uh, in that case, uh, probably because I play a lot Don't of... Don't say Henry 1. If you say Henry 1, Nathan, 
Oh my goodness. There can only be one. Yeah. Can, I'm sorry, can I talk? Oh, I thought this was uh, a four-person podcast called The Great Old Ones. Not the three great old ones that are like making fun of the most talented old ones. So anyway, <laughs> probably, be, probably because I play a lot of uh, Guardian, I am a little biased, but I really enjoy Brother Xavier. Uh, yeah. Only takes one experience uh, to add them to your deck. You get the plus one willpower, which is great for a lot of those just nasty treachery cards. But the fact that he can soak up up to three damage slash horror uh, from anyone at your location, especially if you've got a bunch of baddies around you, and even then, when when you kill them off, does the two damage to enemy of your choice, you know, including anything aloof. I think that's fantastic. So, he's he's absolutely one of my go tos when I like to upgrade. Um, if I had to go with a second, I mean, I'm I'm right along with the man from Lang. I really do like Pete Sylvester, um, especially the upgraded one. But even at the base level. The extra agility, the horror soak is awesome. Uh, yeah, that uh, just named the episode as we were just having this little mini discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, Peter Sylvester, he's, he's the he is the man. Absolutely, I mean, there's there's really not much more that can be said about Peter. True that. Um, but one one topic I wanted to quickly uh, ask you guys before we moved into the investigation phase. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Before we went to the quiz, yeah, to good try, quiz. Nate. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh-huh, all right. Let's it. do. Let, yeah, let's do the quiz first, and then I'll ask. Oh I'll ask wait, question. you weren't gonna. Okay, all right. Um, special music cued in. Whatever. I'm not musically oriented. Um, all right, here we. Can you please a little respect? I mean. I see Man from Lang has put me on permanent ignore here, thanks to my jokes. <laughs> if you, the rest of you could bear with me. All right, so here we go. First question. Which ally has the... And you can't go look it up, but if you know it, great. Which ally has the shortest name? Give you a clue. It sounds like a yogurt from Denmark. Yalto. Hey, good. I wonder if that actually helped her. <laughs> If you just remembered it. Uh, All right, good. Uh, one point for Innkeeper. And uh, right. those of you that are listening, feel free to play at home. Uh, the winner, just write to Vase. He'll give you something. All right. Um, <laughs> next one. Uh, I'm going to read this quote. I want you to think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking any of the Canadians that are part of our podcast uh, might get this one first. Here we go. <clears throat> he never came if you called for him. It always seemed like he had his own agenda. Name that ally. Hmm. I can read it again. He never came if you called for him. It always seemed like he had his own agenda. There's people at home screaming into whatever portable devices they're listening to. <laughs> or screaming at their car windshield. Ah! <laughs> it's probably uh, a Florida man. Florida man found screaming at car windshield. Of course. <laughs> listening to the Great Old Ones podcast, probably episode three. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez, man, I am apparently Is it terrible. The red glove man. Oh no, but he's sexy, isn't he? Oh no, it's not the red oh, glove man. Awesome. I'll give you a clue. It is not a human. Oh, the stray cat. Yeah, stray cat point vase. 
At this point, you might as well uh, just send yourself something. All right. Uh, two more questions. Everybody's doing great. Uh, which ally deals with floating magical books? Go. Floating magical. Olive McBride. Boom. Did someone feed him the questions? I kind of feel uh, like, other than the random Florida man yelling at his windshield, I kind of feel like Vase is going away with this one. <laughs> All right, final question. Other than uh, which Henry one is the best because there's only the one. Um, oh, my God. I would say, last question. There is clearly one answer. Which is the best Guardian ally? Well, it's Guard Xavier, of course. Brother, yeah. Brother Honestly, Xavier. the only person that's probably going to get this answer right is uh, Mr. Frank Brinkley of the Drawn to the Flame podcast. Uh, it is the Guardian ally that has not been made yet, Super Frank. So I would like to thank <laughs> everybody for uh, listening and for participating with uh, this challenge. Once again, write to Vase. Uh, if you do so, he will probably once again hook you up. So, all right, appreciate it. <laughs> this was a fun quiz. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, probably because you stomped the, the rest yeah, of the Yeah, yeah, that was bull. Bull whatever. Well, if you didn't always have you know, more given all the answers ahead of time, it would have been a much more <laughs> fair competition. But you know. Honestly, I just wanted him to lose, so it kind of pisses me off <laughs> that he, he pulled this one out of the the, the cookery. All right, and uh, Nate, you were trying to make headway, and I, as usual, was stopping you. Continue. Ah, yes. Well, continuing on... Um, yeah, so I had a question for you guys. We had um, briefly talked about earlier in the podcast about how Mythos packs are constrained in their design space due to the nature of the packaging. Um, I'd recently picked up Guardians of the Abyss, and I wondered to myself, why don't they make more Mythos packs of this size? And I uh, wanted to know what you guys thought about that. I think it'd be interesting to see a regular Mythos pack um be sold in that size like maybe have a bunch of extra player cards it'd be in, I, I don't think uh that every mythos pack um coming out at that with that many cards uh would be good would be a good thing for the game because then they'd cost more and so on and so forth but i think it if we got one here and there i think it'd be really neat I think it would be useful for the game as well. Well, and I just to turn that question on its head, Nate, instead of a regular Mythos pack being released like that, could they not come out with kind of a best of Mythos pack to kind of be like, hey, here's a bunch of cards that people have been using in addition to the you know ones that people are already buying because of the adventure, because of subscriptions, whatever the case may be, to, to give you a boost, especially if you play multiple investigators just a concept well i think ffg sort of did that when they released the uh the uh starter decks for game of thrones where they basically took the entire card pool and threw a bunch of you know took cards from all different sort of chapter packs threw them into and the deluxe boxes to create starter decks which they released to everybody and then you could you know basically pick up a starter deck and theoretically you you could play it straight out of the box and and do well now i were those popular I, uh i don't know if they were popular and i don't know if they were any good um because so, i remember for just a hot second when those hit and it was like oh these kind of seem cool but then it kind of seemed to fall off the radar so i don't know 
the yeah, I think in the, the in our I don't think the I I think FFG said you know well these these decks you could take it to a tournament and play and I I from what everything I heard that that's not the case I mean uh, I there might have been one one out of the I don't know how many they released eight or so that were that were any good I mean if they took all the say maybe they took released like a a player deck with say like a, a a mystic and like one for each class say they took a guardian investigator and then released a bunch of cards from various mythos packs together so you could just have a guardian to play i mean that might be interesting i i don't know who it would be targeted at necessarily because um i mean the scenarios are part and parcel of the game and it doesn't really do you much good just to have a deck because you can't play it against like if somebody bought a guardian deck and somebody bought a secret deck it's not like they can play against each other and um so you would need a scenario in there as well but it might be yeah, it i mean just, it might be interesting if experiment. they did that if they did that say for maybe a cycle where they had say mythos pack one was the guardian mythos like not a like a, they released a, a separate campaign that wasn't part of a cycle so like pack one was the guardian pack it came with a scenario pack two was a seeker pack it came with the part two of that scenario um the, you know next one gotcha. would be rogue etc etc so you'd, you'd have a little five scenario campaign and then you'd have five um decks that you could play against yeah. it that pulled pulled uh player cards from various various packs kind of the best that might be that might be interesting i don't know if it would be economical for them but yeah and and obviously there's the the struggle of having just to design more cards in general and obviously that takes more r&d time so there's obviously Mm -hmm. that that logistical hurdle to well if you were doing a best of that wouldn't take that wouldn't take that they would just scoop up the best whatever that's coming yeah, that's I true. think there could be a market for it for new players that just want certain cards that are staples and just don't have the money to buy all these or maybe live in a country where it's much harder to find certain expansions like I saw on one of the you know communities that someone uh, was having trouble finding all of the packs for uh, the Dunwich Legacy and with Return to Dunwich being sold in every store in their country but they couldn't get the original Dunwich, so they couldn't even buy the return to and play that. So maybe the player cards would be good enough and they buy the new expansion until an older one's available. I think there could be, or maybe they just never don't care to buy that, that cycle, but they want their player cards for it. Once there's a ton of cycles in, a new players might feel overwhelmed to buy everything that's been released but still want some of the player cards i think there could be a market for it are you saying that you wouldn't play the return to barkham horror i would love to play barkham horror (laughs) i wish they had i wish they had released that they had given me that spoiler ahead of time because then i would have i would have definitely streamed it on april 1st Uh, i would have streamed barkham horror i would have taken one of those investigators and run it up against something (laughs) this is this is the new set they just released and i'm playing it for everyone here that's awesome well maybe we can do that next year 
maybe yeah no um, i just it just seemed like a missed opportunity because i was just like oh man if i you know knowing this ahead of time i could have definitely streamed this and it would have been hilarious <laughs> yeah matt newman if you're listening please hook us up here we're uh <laughs> you, get, you, you have to let us in on the april fool's jokes before yeah. you spring them on people so we can uh, <laughs> so we can help you out yeah I, th- I think it would be interesting or like even if they made a larger mythos pack for the last scenario of the campaign like you know for the instance before the black throne where we were talking about how it's kind of an issue that the occult lexicon and the uh bonded cards you know take up so many slots within that pack but you know if you just increase the pack size that doesn't necessarily become as much of an yeah, issue yeah i think it'd be a ra- more of a one off or a rare case, but they could do it. Yeah. Like, say, for instance, they they did that at the end of every campaign cycle, where they get Kind of the finale? Yeah. Just just something to think about. Um, But, yeah, if if you guys don't have anything more to add to that topic, we can go ahead and... No, that was a good point. Oh, I was going to bring up a side point, and I... (laughs) This is a point I brought up a few times, and every time I brought it up, I felt everybody scratching their head through the Discord or whatever. But, uh, but it's a thing that I've noticed. I've been playing with several different groups, and I've noticed that people have a different way of kind of thinking about when they pull from the bag. Like I talked to somebody who's like, every time I reach into the bag to pull a token, I always go with like the token that's closest to my pinky. Like, I'll reach my hand in because I feel like anything that's right by my thumb and forefinger is going to be the tentacle. And I've had other people that say they'll grab a token and then they'll let it go and grab the next token that they grab. Or things like that. I mean, it's it's interesting all the little idiosyncrasies and superstitions people have. Mini and, rituals. Yeah, almost. You know, good good use of ritual while we're talking about Arkham. But has anyone else experienced that? Or does anybody want to... to to air some dirty laundry on how you think about pulling from the bag. I gotta say, pulling pulling from the bag definitely there is there is something to it where you should mix it all up every single time. Because I used to not do that, and I and a listener told me, "Hey, why don't you try just turning it upside down, shaking it around, and all that stuff?" And I I really did start to get more varied results. Um, so there's definitely something to it. Now, I don't know about grabbing it with your pinky or pulling one and then grabbing another. I tend, you know, I've tried doing that and then I end up grabbing the same one somehow, even though I think I grabbed a different one. And that's happened to me several times. And uh, Lang, you use... Uh... I hit control S. <laughs> <laughs> and then I pull a token. I hope for the best. Without without fail every time. <laughs> Although I find when I do play on on Octagon, the the one thing that does throw me is that uh, you have to push Control S to pull a token. But then if you pull the same token, there's there's no visual cue except um, in oh, the weird. chat box to show you that you that you have drawn one. So sometimes I will push it and I'll be like. Oh, I, did I get a... I, okay, so did I draw a zero or did that I draw a zero like a, again? That seems like so, a design flaw. So I often have to mm-hmm. check to make sure that, that I did in fact draw a token and, 
and sometimes it's dumb. just the same token. Because the the app, and I can't remember off the top of my head for like the iPhone, the app that lets you do the tokens, you hit the button in the middle of the screen and it'll pull up a token, and then you hit it again and the token disappears. So there's mm. there's no chance of not knowing, like you were saying. Yeah, I could drag the token back to the bag if I wanted to, but that's a, an extra step that I... If I'm playing with real cards, I just tend to stick my hand in and swirl them around a lot and then just sort of i'll dig to a corner of the bag <laughs> typically because i feel like that's like the the tentacle is always going to be like front and center just begging to be pulled so if i go to the, one of the corners of the bag the tentacle won't be there but oh and follows. especially especially if it's a really important pull you're like I know that I must have just touched the tentacle. I must have. <laughs> so I'm just going to root around a bit and hopefully that that will <laughs> go away. I just think it's interesting because it, it's never as objective as I'm just going to pull a random token. It's always like, uh, hold on, let me swirl a bit more. Let me shake the bag, turn upside down like Vase said. So I just wanted to touch on that for a minute. What about you, Nate? You got any rituals you do when you're pulling a token? Ooh, uh, I tend to, you know, light a candle, turn the lights down, uh, you know, like start. It takes, start, him, it start takes him five hours to play a game. <laughs> Read a poem to to your Carolyn card. Well, Little Michael you think, Buble. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I've got you know the Gregorian chant, you know, going on. You know, the the ritual circle in the ground. I put Kenny G in a room of roses and just have him play. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's hilarious. Nice. So, I mean, well, speaking of you know incantations and oh, I thought you were gonna say speaking of Kenny G. And, I'm like, well, <laughs> it got dark. Ooh, also speaking of Kenny G, maybe he uh, he uh, had a visit at the Grand Oak uh, Hotel. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about that fan made scenario, Nathan? Um, well, Vase, do you want to start this off since I've been talking most recently? Um, yeah, another, I, I don't remember the name of the person who, who made that scenario. It's another fan-made scenario called the Grand Oak Hotel. Uh, it takes place in a hotel, I think in New York. Uh, right. and there, yeah, and there's, there's strange happenings. So you're hired as the investigators to, to go into the hotel and investigate. Um, there's a couple of little twists. One is you have to check your weapons at the front counter, at the front desk. So all your weapon cards are immediately taken out of your deck initially oh and the guardians always the guardians always freak out at that point yeah you do have options to keep them but then there's like ramifications uh so imagine you you have to start the scenario off without any weapon cards in your deck uh and then from there you start investigating the mystery and it's it's really fun there's a mechanic with an elevator that takes you up to different floors uh you know different you meet certain guests and uh certain things start to happen uh that are just very it's very psychological scenario kind of reminds me of of something that would fit in carcosa i do recommend watching 1408 either while you play the scenario or right before you do so because it'll kind of get you in the right frame of mind or or even the shining you kind of feel like yes like something's just pulling the strings in the background i think i thought it was very well done um just just to try something different i'm gonna read uh the agenda Act, uh, agenda 1A, because I think this gives you a good flavor without giving away any spoilers. 
The hotel seemed normal at first pass. Guests moved through the lobby and hallways looking as cheerful or exhausted as vacationers or business travelers should. No one screams or attacks you, but something feels strange to you, as if you knew what was wrong and then forgot just as quickly as you learned it. So that kind of gives you the concept of things are happy-go-lucky, like, like they start in any Arkham scenario, followed by, but you can't put your finger on it, something's happening. Uh, I think it's probably one of my favorite scenarios. Would you agree, Vase? I would agree. Yeah, initially I played it wrong, so I was a little critical of it. But oh, I remember. I realized, yeah, <laughs> and then you actually corrected me. It was uh, my mistake. The scenario is you do have to read it carefully because there's some new mechanics, but it is it is really really um, well done. the The development, the pacing of it, it's it's really really well done. Yeah, and and once again, if anybody wants to check it out. Um, one of the good sources that I recommend is Arkham Central. Uh, Karsten, the the chief admin on that site, is amazing, and he's collected all these fan-made fictions, uh, scenarios, uh, and you can download it there. There's even, I think there's even a link on that one so you can have it sent off and professionally printed in case you don't want to do the cutting and stuff, but uh, I would highly recommend the Grand Oak Hotel. Well, that's awesome. That sounds really cool. I'm definitely a big fan of The Shining. Um, Nathan, I know you had mentioned that you have been working on your own fan-made scenarios, and Vase, you had mentioned something in a recent channel update as well, that you were creating a scenario as well. Yes. Nathan, you go first. Well, mine's quick. Uh, So I worked together with Andrew Migliori, the founder of the Portland, Oregon uh, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, which is actually, I think, shown down in California and over in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, But I worked with him this last year on making a scenario called The Lurker in the Lobby, and it deals with a lot of the uh, locations around Portland, the Shanghai Tunnels, the Hollywood Theater, Mount Tabor, Pittock Mansion, and and Union Central. Um, We are going to revisit that soon. It was only available. uh, We had it as part of a Kickstarter reward. People paid to either, you know, they were supporting the art, but they were also paying to get into the scenario. But we really didn't sell any copies in mass because we wanted to respect uh, Fantasy Flight intellectual properties. Uh, a lot of people wanted to, to do so, but we said, no, we're going to make it free. We're going to put it up on Arkham Central. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing here soon. So I'm going to get together with Andrew. I just spoke with him today. Um, we're going to do some touch ups to make it. You know, make sure it's the best it can be, final polishings, and uh, we're going to get it posted up. And as soon as it is, I will let you all know via one of these podcasts here. And uh, I'd like to hear feedback about it because it's a unique scenario and a lot of fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. Uh, So... um, (laughs) I gotta say, making a scenario is a lot of work. Uh, you got you're constantly tweaking, and then of course getting all the artwork in place. I've been working on mine since I think January, and I finally gotten all the artwork the artwork taken care of. I've commissioned a couple of artists to to help me through it, um, and I think it came out fantastic. Nathan, your scenario has awesome art. So the artist that you used is. I'm sure it was expensive too. <laughs> oh, he's but, yeah, uh, he's incredible. 
Yeah, the art was really good. Um, but yeah, uh, the scenario I'm working on, I haven't released it yet, so I don't want to give too much away in terms of the storyline. But uh, what I used for inspiration, I used Iron, a bunch of Iron Maiden lyrics and album names and everything. Yeah. Um, and just kind of meshed them all together. Uh, so none of none of the scenarios specifically any Iron Maiden song in a story form. It's just there's callbacks to Iron Maiden songs and albums and lyrics um, within the scenario and within scenario text. Uh, but it's all tied together in, in its own story that was influenced by actually a movie that I saw. So uh, the scenario, all I, all I can give away right now is the name and it's called A Matter of Life and Death. And I'm I'm hoping it comes out pretty good, but we'll uh, we'll see. I was gonna get a bunch of tests. I was test, about to say, uh, you know, players. I'll help play test it. You ran through my yeah. my death trap. I'll run through yours. Yeah, I was gonna print copies and mail them out to to listeners, but uh, it's gonna take too long. So I think I'm just gonna do it local. So definitely want to talk to you about it, uh, Nathan. Absolutely, uh, so that we can play through it. Yeah. And side note, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to the artist that helped do mine and who might do a future scenario, uh, John Donald Carlucci, who uh, lives here in Portland. Uh, he is awesome. So check out his stuff if you get a chance to Google him. He's got a lot of art up on the web. Yeah, one of the artists on mine gave me a big bargain and it's my brother, my twin brother, Giovanni Crisson. And the artwork for the cover of the scenario was uh, a friend of mine uh, named Ian Bristol, and he lives in Washington. He's pretty awesome too. He has his own website and everything, and he's he's amazing. Cool. That's very cool. So I'll, I'm definitely excited to check that out. You should um, record a a playthrough of it and post it on your channel. That'd be neat to watch. Definitely in the books planned for that for sure. Um. Yeah, so moving on to our next topic here, I kind of quickly wanted to mention the new Call of Cthulhu campaign setting that came out in the past couple of weeks. Um, it's Berlin, the Wicked City. So it's Call of Cthulhu in 1920s Berlin, which is pretty cool. I picked up a copy of it this past, uh, past weekend, and I've been currently reading through bits and pieces of it. Um, so, Nate, it... how often do you get to play the, the role-playing game? Not as much as I'd like to. Um, I'd really like to start up a regular campaign with listeners if that's something that they'd be interested in. Um, my D&D group has kind of fallen apart after Aww. eight sessions of Curse of Strahd. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, life's a thing. So one friend had a baby and another friend is in a new job and another friend moved. So it's just... Yeah, so we've been trying to reassemble another playing group. But, um, yeah, so I've just been reading through it, and I've been interested in playing another game of Call of Cthulhu. Um, this particular uh, campaign setting is really interesting to me because it uh, not only has you know tons of information about 1920s Berlin, but it also comes with a bunch of player handouts and uh, three scenarios for for the keeper to run which is really cool uh one of them awesome. yeah one of them is um you're you're investigating a possible murder of a grand duchess uh from from austria who was killed by a famous cannibal uh carl goldman uh, yeah so there's 
So that sounds pretty cool. Uh, there's another one about a, a crazy ballet cult that um, attempts to use their, uh, what they're called, cosmic ballet to summon Nyarlathotep. So yeah, there's some really cool, neat. So uh, neat you want to go get book. a pint? No, I really, I gotta <laughs> go summon this Narlathep. So I mean, <laughs> did did I read right that there's also uh, a side story with regards to the great god Pan? Yes, yeah. So That's there's awesome. a um, there's a cult in Berlin during this time period called the Lost Boys, which I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce it in German. So. Mm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to butcher that. Um, but, yeah, they're basically a uh, manifestation of the Lost Boys who worship Peter Pan, quite literally, and the god huh. Pan, who is a avatar of Shubnigaroth. Which is pretty cool. And, yeah, they worship they worship the Black Goat in the Black Forest of Eichenwald. So. That's awesome. I'm, I'd be so interested to hear how they meshed all of that. Peter Pan, the great god Pan, and... Azathoth all into one kind of storyline. Yeah, it's really cool. really cool. It's really cool. Um, what's neat about this campaign setting in particular is that it's uh, not the the nineteen twenties prohibition era of prudish New England, but is instead the uh, you know licentious, laissez faire style, do what you want nineteen twenties Berlin, where there's you know huh. sex, drugs, and rock and roll everywhere. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the second scenario is even called Dances of Vice, Horror, and Ecstasy, so. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, the third scenario, real real quick, is uh, a scenario about um, a film being shown in Berlin and a secret group that's looking to use the film as a means of propaganda to spread evil. <laughs> That's so, awesome. The book looks pretty cool, so I'm going to... I plan on doing a review of it once I've done a full reading of it on the channel so uh, be sure to check that out probably next month or so cool cool that's awesome well and uh, um, talks about other games um nathan oh i'm waiting for it Go Sorry, ahead. <laughs> um yeah you and i have both played uh, a board game called mountains of madness yeah uh have have you guys uh lang or nate played that game i haven't played it but i did watch um a couple of reviews of it on youtube it looks oh, pretty cool. interesting so I, I know how to i know the basic premise of the game uh nathan why don't you tell us a little bit about it you're the most i think uh versed in this one yeah so it's it's interesting because it kind of touches on two different things it touches on a pretty solid cooperative game but then it also kind of touches on a zany party game because it's a game where you are serious, you're focused, you're, you're basically doing the Mountains of Madness uh, storyline. But at the same time, the further you go up the mountain, because uh, you start, you've got a little plane that you use, a little miniature. You start at the base, the expedition camp, and start going up the mountainside. And as you're kind of flying around, and landing on these spots, uh, you might flip something over and it will say you need, you know, six to nine tool cards and four to six book cards. 
And so then what you'll do is you have 30 seconds, I believe, to go through and pitch or, or contribute those cards from your hand to the pile. But you have to effectively communicate. You have to say, hey, I've got books covered myself. Nobody else put in books. Or, hey, does anybody have tools? We need more tools. And once you put your cards in, you can't talk anymore or there's penalties. So it's interesting because usually the first several times people can do the right thing. You know, that you'll have the parameters, this amount to this amount. When the, when the timer's done, everybody flips over. Hey, we've got enough. We've succeeded. But what will happen is if you're off by one or two, if somebody put in too much or too little, um, or they talked when they shouldn't have, that gives you penalties too. You have to start drawing minor madness cards. And that's where the game takes on its kind of zany feel. Um, like some of the zany ones are you have to put your finger above your mouth and act like it's a mustache while you talk. Um, I remember one guy just cracked up, and afterwards I found out why. The advanced madness that he read was you have to yell, I have a plan, or I have an idea, and then you can't say it unless someone specifically says, what is your idea? So, you know, and uh, I think another one was if somebody says the word crate or equipment, one of the key things you have to talk about in the game, you have to scream and then bury your head and not move. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. And then there's things like going it's to the so table. You have to turn around and talk backwards over your shoulder at people. Um, you've got to keep one eye closed when you, uh, or whisper, you know, things like that. Um, so it starts off pretty cut and dry, like, oh, okay, it's Lovecraft, it's at the Mountains of Madness, okay, let's get serious. And soon all hell's gone loose and you get more, you get crazier and crazier. And, and towards the end, you're just trying to get the hell out and you try to fly away, so. And it's so hard to communicate near the end. The, the, the game is definitely more casual than, you know, say Arkham Horror LCG. It's a very casual, like, party game, but you have to be with you have to play it with a group that's very willing to do crazy things or, you know, willing to, or has fun doing those kind of things. Cause there are some people that I think get embarrassed, you know, or they don't, they don't want to do like weird, funny things or like kooky things. And they wouldn't enjoy the game as much, I think. Um, but I think someone who's just willing to do the craziest things that the cards tell you to do uh, would have a blast. You have to have like a, a good group of people that are all kind of on the same page about that. So I guess coupled with what you just said, let me ask you this question. Um, would you say like a group of aspiring actors? Would be Like, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Henry Wan. Uh, oh, God. He could play, or uh, there's the botanist, Carolyn Fern. Uh, and then I know that Yorick is a Shakespearean actor. Uh, so, yeah, you could have that group too. They would all work very well in this game. <laughs> it's it's a fun it's a fun party game for sure. Oh, that sounds that sounds pretty neat and definitely an interesting uh, divergence from you know the normal Arkham Horror uh, competitive slash um, dismal cooperative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Di- <laughs> sometimes dismal experience and that it can be but um yeah moving on from the the nice and the uh 
the parties. Uh, unfortunately, we did have a passing of a prominent community member oh. over the past couple of weeks. Um, Larry Dottilio passed away at the age of 71, I believe, on the 19th of March. He he passed away from Parkinson's disease, and I don't know if you any of you are familiar with who he is or his work, but he's most famous for the being the author of the Masks of Nyarlathotep. Mm. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean that that adventure is is amazing. Uh, I've unfortunately I haven't. I own it, but I have never had a chance to run it or play it. But uh, um, it's head and shoulders above many of the adventures out there. I, I just recently started running D&D for my sons, so I'm hoping, uh, I think what I may end up doing is adapting that one to a D&D campaign because it's uh, it's just so good. Uh, I was looking back at his bio because I didn't know anything about him other than that he had written masks, but it turns out that he was the co-creator of She-Ra. Yep. No way. Yeah. yeah. And he wow. was the he was the head one of the main writers on the first He Man and the Masters of the Universe series back in eighty three to eighty five. Oh my god. He was the co creator of She Ra. He was the executive story editor on Babylon five. And he was the main he did most of the writing for the Beast Wars Transformers series. And in his spare time, he did one episode of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Probably with Nyar Lathotep. Well, with Nyar right Well, I don't know, but after yeah, I have she, this it's tea, a, it's a very I'm going to go. <laughs> wow. But Angela Lansbury foils his plans. <laughs> Angela, uh, Angela you Lansbury. Crazy, you crazy old great one, you. She, oh, she foils man. Great Cthulhu by some <laughs> some sort of trickery and then gives him a lecture at the end about what a bad guy is and sends him off to his bedroom to think about it. She, and I would have gotten away with she... it. <laughs> yeah. He also nope. did he was also a writer on the California Raisins show, which is probably what? only something like the uh the definitely the old men in this group would uh, would remember the California Raisins. Uh, no, I think that's no, all don't don't get yourself too happy. I I'm with you on that one. Now he did I, I noticed that he started his career though on as a writer on Fount Albert and the Cosby Kids. Now I'm sure he's oh, regretting man. that. He's regretting that choice these days. Why I love that show. I mean I get it because Cosby Kids, but yeah, man, that show was great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's no, a but lot he was of TV shows. Yeah, he no, he he wrote a lot of TV, and it's amazing that he did. Uh, apparently, he wrote um, masks of Nyarlathotep is from 1984. So that's when he was doing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He wrote 17 episodes for that show. They so do go hand in hand. At, so, wow. at some point, he's just like, screw it, I'm going to write something different. And he, he churned out one of the best uh, best role-playing scenarios that has been ever produced. So Any, uh, any connection to the movie with uh, Dolph Lundgren? It doesn't show that on here. No. He, wow. Why would you? Why would you say? Although that he was he was a writer on, an, on a thing called Peter Pan and the Pirates, so maybe that can go back to the the whole oh. Berlin Call of Cthulhu in Berlin. It all goes back to nineteen twenty Berlin. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I was sad to hear that he had uh, he had passed away. 
Yeah, it is sad. He um he he did also work with Chaosium when they did the re releasing of the masks of Narlethotep um last year, I believe, is when the printed edition came out. So, um for for those who haven't read it already, Mike Mason, uh the chief editor of Chaosium, wrote a wrote a nice piece about Larry and their interactions together that I I think it's worth reading if you're at all curious. Um, but Larry also did other work in RPGs too. He he wrote for Paizo Publishing, and he did also help with the Creature Companion for Call of Cthulhu. Um, and he also he helped uh, assist in some of the ideas for future campaigns as well. And Mike goes on in the article to say that Larry was a huge influence in the way that Call of Cthulhu scenarios were written from from masks forward so it's sad to see Larry go but you know I think as fans of masks you know he'll he'll live on forever in his work so yeah and you know because he he wrote masks and then he went on and did rock and wrestling so really <laughs> I mean it's it's he, he took one step and then he he took a different direction <laughs> it's yeah because i can't i can't think of two things more diametrically opposed than the masks of nyarlathotep and rock and wrestling <laughs> he's uh yeah he's got quite a colorful career absolutely he, he sure does um so yeah it's it's sad to see him go um so i just wanted to pay respects to larry since we are absolutely. A, a channel dedicated to that um i mean masks is famous you know it's been adapted many times and it's been adapted to Eldritch Horror too so you know clearly he's he's had quite an impact on the community as a whole um but yeah is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we wrap tonight's episode uh yeah I, I have one more thing um so Robin Gilmore, uh, who runs the Out of Ammo, Out of Time YouTube channel, uh, he does playthroughs for Arkham Horror uh, using starter decks. He just plays through uh, through the uh, starter scenarios. Um, he is actually starting an Arkham Horror LCG League, and it seems like it's it would be something really fun. Um, initially, it was going to be uh, done for fun, but we've added a little prize uh, to the end Uh participants and it's um basically people are supposed to stream live uh playthroughs and based on how they do and uh there's there's a point system that's um that i guess he's created based on experience points and you know what you finish with and all that certain certain goals are achieved and they're running through dunwich uh people can register for this using a link that we'll provide in the show notes uh, it's free to register, free to play and participate, and um, it's uh, the the sign up ends on May first, so it closes on May first, and then the games begin streaming from May first through June, uh, and then a winner will be selected based on the entire run through Dunwich. So check that out. It's it seems like it's going to be an interesting thing for the community. May turn into something semi official if if it takes off where uh, people can play in in a little mini league for Arkham Heart of the card game. Well, that's neat. So what are, what are the criteria? Um, do you happen to know any of those offhand or 
Uh, yeah, you can make uh, any deck using Arkham DB, so it has to be a legal deck, level zero deck, uh, and then you just start Dunwich. You can upgrade based on your experience point gains, just like a normal campaign playthrough. Um, the There are no particular restrictions that I know of other than you have to stream the game live so that there's no tampering. Um, and then once you stream it live, you can record it and he, he's going to upload it to a, a separate YouTube channel made just for this. So people can watch the other playthroughs and go from there. Well, that sounds really cool. Um, definitely interested in checking that out. I'll unfortunately be busy throughout most of the month of May, so. Oh, I wonder why. be able to participate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for for listeners who don't know, I'm getting married that month, so obviously oh, I'll be busy with. Come stuff on, Nate, like that. tell tell them about the special pin. Oh, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I shared with the guys in the our Discord channel, but um, Miles from the Orbits Etsy channel, um, who makes the amazing looking chaos tokens. Amazing him, capital A. Yeah absolutely gorgeous um yeah they're made out of like fiberglass and gold filament oh they they just look absolutely stunning um but i contacted miles and i asked him to make me uh custom lapel pins for my for my groomsmen's suits so i've had those commissioned by miles and they look absolutely incredible um i'm really excited to have those in my possession So they look that, really nice. They, they, they he, he does an incredible job. So, more more promotion to Miles, please go go buy his stuff. Absolutely. No, he's uh very good at communicating. Great quality product is always looking to enhance. Uh, I do recommend him myself. And congratulations, Nate. Um, yeah. So we're gonna be my fiance and I will be in Germany through the last couple of weeks in. 1920s Germany. Yes, 1920s Berlin, actually. So, uh, (laughs) so if anyone wants to meet up, possibly, and play Arkham in Germany, I'd really love to hear from you guys. Um, That would be awesome. You can, yeah, you can email me at nate at lostintimeandspace at gmail dot com. Yeah, if you're willing to do that, uh, give me a shout. I'll be, I'll be there for nine days. So, um, yeah, give me an email. And remember, das ist nicht verboten. I just want to make sure I got that out there for you, Nate. Thank you. Thank you. I have no yeah. idea what you just said, but I, I just said probably... nothing's forbidden. It, it, it's all okay. Ah. Um, but yeah, I think um, with that, we're wrapping up uh, two hours here. So... I, I have one quick thing. I'm sorry. That's all right. Go ahead. I, I just want to cover uh, each podcast. Do a little shout-out for people that want to enhance their atmosphere for their games. Um, And I think I talked about this just a little before, and I won't take too much time to do it now. But as far as one way to add atmosphere while you play, um, I use YouTube videos. Uh, For example, when I'm doing the Happy's Funhouse, I will do like some creepy clown music if I'm doing Curse of the Rougarou. Uh, there's a cool 30 minute, uh, swamp sound with gator roars and all kinds of stuff. Uh, most recently when we've been doing the forgotten age campaign, uh, I've been finding some like water dripping in cave sound effects. Um, and even when I think, uh, and you did this one vase, 
but the uh, the against the Windigo since it's got the river in it, I'll just oh, pull yeah. up one of my apps that have you know the the white noise and they've got tranquil stream and and river sounds. I'll pull that up. Um, but I also have in the room that I play in, I have a Sono speaker, so I can just link that to my iPad or my iPhone and play videos. But um, it's nice. You just put the music on in the background. Essex County Express, I'll have train sounds. Basically, you name it, I'll have some kind of sounds in the background. And it's subtle. The more you get used to playing with it, the more it doesn't really impact you, but it does add a a level of atmosphere instantly to your game that I do recommend. You guys need to like get on some serious recording because... You know, you have these incredible setups, but then don't post YouTube videos. About them, so. <laughs> I like how so I'm still waiting on that. You two shamed, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, well, and, I mean, at the very least, it's Face's fault. So, uh, I agree a hundred percent. So, anyway, uh, any any last words, Mister Lang, from you? We've been uh, taking all the time here at the end. No, just. Uh... No, don't really have anything to say. I should have my playthroughs up for the uh, Circle Undone. Great. Uh, scenarios coming up shortly. And then uh, looks like my time will be a little more flexible coming up here. So uh, I've got a few ideas for, for videos that I'll be making. And just keep plugging away. Nice. So, sounds great. Well, yeah, thanks for everybody. Awesome taking the time to talk and thanks to all the listeners for spending some time with us by this uh, eldritch campfire yeah absolutely we want to thank you as always for listening and if you guys have any questions or comments on how we can improve your listening experience please uh feel free to email us or contact us at one of the various links on the website uh we'd really love to hear from all you guys um oh uh, and i have a i have a new email address you can send it is um Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, the worst, Nathan. So yeah, you can you can send all of your Arkham related memes to that email address and we will take any serious <laughs> inquiries at any other email address. Nice. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, really, uh, thank you guys as always for listening and um, yeah, have a great rest of your day. Uh, this is Nate, Lost in Time and Space, signing out. Oh, I, I just want to leave it at that. I just want to leave yeah. it at that. Just, so just, so just, just, just nobody else is leaving. I'm a man from Lang, whisper in, whisper in, dark, whisperer in darkness YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And this is Nathan of the There Should Have Been Only Henry Rowan uh, channel coming right back at you. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>